Uh, my name is Stacy Jones. Uh, I am the associate minister of the McDonald Avenue Church of Christ in the city of Richmond, California. Um, I'm super excited to be here with you today. I think this is like my fourth or fifth year uh, presenting uh, here at Pepperdine, and it's always just an extreme privilege uh, to be able to share uh, my heart regarding whatever uh, topic the Lord gives me for any given year. Uh, and this is uh, was born out of uh, a sermon that I actually preached several months ago uh, at my home congregation for my teenage years. Um, they gave me this text, and I, I just <clears throat> was able to see it from a different perspective. Uh, and it really is uh, shaping some things uh, in my own walk. Uh, and I'm doing further further writing around this this topic, but uh, I just want to talk about living in an, in an altered state. Um, and so, with that in mind, um, we're going to work uh, out of verse number one because I believe that there's enough there for us to unpack uh, over the course of the next hour or so. Uh, but we all know uh, this particular verse. Uh, Therefore, I urge you. Sorry, excuse the title. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so uh, that, that particular verse is one uh, that I think we're all very familiar with, and that's you know, a memory verse as a child. Like we, we hear that over and over and over again. And so um, we know what it says, but hopefully we will have a better understanding of what it means by the time that we leave here uh, on today. Now, I love the book of Romans. Uh, several years ago, I decided to preach through Romans. I had never done that before. Uh, and as I began to, to do that, I began to read and research. I understood that for some, uh, the book of Romans is regarded as uh, a fifth gospel almost, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, deal with the person of Jesus, whereas I believe that Romans helps us to better understand the purpose of Jesus. And so by, by marrying those things, I think it gives us a much better perspective of how we need to live. Now, Paul, in his epistolary writings, uh, employs a certain literary device whereby he does a certain amount of doctrinal teaching, and then he transitions into the practical application of what he's, what he's taught. And so that's kind of the point that we're entering into this particular verse this morning, that he's kind of given all this information, and now he is about to give some application uh, for the reader that they understand how this is to, uh, to apply to their lives. And then in terms of this particular book being regarded by someone as a fifth gospel, um, chapter number one refers to the gospel three times, chapter number two refers to the gospel once, chapter 10 once, chapter 11 once, chapter 15 twice chapter 16 once, like, there is a lot in Romans to be said about, about the gospel. And so I think that, that it's really important that we understand that because, again, we're marrying the person of Jesus with the purpose of Jesus in this particular book, and I believe that uh, this particular verse is, is pivotal to that, to that understanding. Now, um, usually when I, when I teach this, I kind of don't tell people about A-L-T-E-R versus A-L-T-A-R until I'm much further into the lesson because it's like this aha moment, but I'm too sleepy to give you an aha moment this morning. And so let's just talk a little bit about alter, altered A-L-T-E-R-E-D uh, and then A-L-T-A-L-A 
A L T A. You can see I'm making typos and everything. I told you I was sleeping. And so altered state versus altered state. And so an altered state, as we refer to it commonly, is a state of mind that differs from the normal state of consciousness, typically one induced by drugs, hypnosis, or a mental disorder, right? Yes. And so we can recognize a person that's living in that sort of altered state, right? How, how do you recognize a person that's living in that sort of altered state? Their behavior. Their behavior, right? For me, I just wake up and look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> it tells you everything you need to know, right? And so, so we think about this in terms of, of, of someone that's, that's uh, inebriated almost, right? That they're living in this altered state, that there's something about them that, that is altered, right? Um, but then when we talk about living in an altered state, A-L-T-A-R-E-D, um, it's of belonging or relating to an altar. And so what do you think I'm trying to get at in terms of us living in an altered state? I'd say that our life is not our own, but it's dedicated to God and to his kingdom purposes. Amen. Anybody else? I want to say it just goes, oh, sorry. Let's go here, then go there. All right. Okay. Um, just that if you are living in an altered state, like the A, or relating to an altar, that you should appear to other people altered. Right. I was just going to say it just goes back to what the verse says, um, it's one of my favorite verses, that's why I was really excited yeah. about this class, and it just talks about changing everything about yourself, mm -hmm. starting with the way you think, right. and letting thinking like Christ, mm -hmm. and letting that transform the way you live, and how you behave, how you interact with the world. Absolutely. So, when we think of altar, we'll talk about this more when we get down into, into, into the text, but when we think of an altar, we think about a sacrifice being on the altar, right? And so the verse definitely talks about there being uh, a sacrifice. But I believe that we, of course, recognize Christ as the ultimate sacrifice, right? But I think that when we also see ourselves as perpetual sacrifices, it helps us to better appreciate what Christ has done for us, right? And so I think that sometimes, at least for me, um, I was not always exposed to information that helped me to understand the perpetual nature of my needing to constantly be in that space and in that state. And so I was exposed to information, not intentionally, but pretty unintentionally actually, that helped me to kind of silo the way that I operated in my life, right? So as long as I was doing certain things at certain times and in certain places, then I didn't really embrace or understand the perpetual nature of what I was signing up for. And so it wasn't as if I was trying to live this uh, kind of schizophrenic Christianity, so to speak, but it was still a very subtle life where I didn't feel like my faith was kind of a common thread running through everything. So it wasn't as perpetual in nature as I think it's intended to be. And I think that this particular, this particular text uh, will help us to begin to, uh, to think through that. All right, so the first section I like to call the power, the power of the plea, okay? And so he starts out with therefore, right? And so uh, there's that kind of cheesy thing that people say, when you see therefore, you need to know what therefore is there for, right? Right, and so <laughs> for, for some, uh, they would say that uh, he's only referring to probably the last six or so verses of the previous chapter, I believe. Uh, that it really is a therefore, that is therefore, the purpose of really encapsulating everything that he's written in the book of Romans up until this point, okay? That's, that's, that's the school of thought that I tend to employ. 
that the therefore is there for the purpose of bringing us up to that point in the entirety of the book. Right. And so um, he says, therefore, I urge you. Right. And so uh, in the King James Version, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Right. And so that that beseeching or that urging is what I call the plea, which is why I'm calling this the power of the plea. And so what I appreciate about the fact that he is making this this plea or he's urging them to do something is he's not flexing his apostolic authority or his apostolic muscle. But I think he's setting them up to really appreciate what is about to follow. Right. And so the way that this is kind of set up is that, hey. I'm, I'm, I'm making this plea. I'm urging you to do this. And it's not that I can't, but he's actually withholding or suppressing the apostolic authority as to not force them into something. But the power of what he's about to show them is so great that there's no need to, to flex. Right. It's almost like when you're talking to a child is that sometimes you have to be more direct and more stern. And you have to show your authority. But sometimes the thing that you're wielding in your hand is so powerful that you don't have to flex at all. Right. You just need to let them know that, hey, listen, I have all the cards in my hand, right? That the thing is more important than the person from whom it's coming. Does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so I think I, I appreciate the fact that he sets it up that way, right? And so not only does he make this plea, but he also personalizes the plea, right? I beseech you, brothers and sisters, right? And so I think that there's something to be said about entreating people in a relational way in order for them to be able to receive information as well, right? And so he's really trying to connect with them on a personal level. So he's not coming from this very authoritative position. He is personalizing what he's about to share with them. And so he's saying that he's doing all of this, that he's urging them, that he's personalizing the, the plea that he's giving them. And then he says, by the mercies of God. Now, what I also appreciate about this is that he doesn't say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, or I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, right? But he says the mercies of God, right? So there's this, this, there's this plural nature of what he's sharing with them that I think is really important. I believe that there are at least three main buckets that this shows up in this particular, this particular book. I believe that there's the mercy of revelation and that God showed himself to us in Christ. I believe that there's the mercy of redemption and that he rescued us through, through showed himself in Christ rescued us through Christ and then the mercy of remission that he cleanses us with Christ. So I think that's important. He's saying God revealed himself to you. He redeemed you. And he, re he remitted your sins. He's saying that's a big deal. That you need to do something in light of the magnitude of this, right? And so if you really understand the magnitude of the mercies of God in your life, then what I'm about to ask you to do makes sense. Yeah. You guys with me so far? Yeah. Is that what I'm about to ask you to do makes a whole lot of sense if you understand that God revealed himself, to, he revealed himself to us in Christ, that he has rescued us through Christ, that he's cleansed us with Christ. All of that is a big deal and so there needs to be a response to that. You guys with me so far? Yeah. Is that there needs to be a response to that. So you can't just gloss over that. And so I think it's easy when we kind of just, when we don't take the time to look at, you know, what is he saying by the mercies of God? Well, he's saying 
that God has shown you his mercy in several different ways that are really meaningful for your life. And so because of this really big way that God has, has shown himself, that he's redeemed you, that he's remitted your sins, that there, that needs to elicit something within you. That if you can't appreciate that, then what I'm, going to, what I'm about to ask you to do is going to be a stretch. But if you really understand the magnitude of what God has already done in Christ, through Christ, and with Christ, then the response that he's about to ask you for, it, it, it begins to kind of make sense. You guys with me so far? All right. <clears throat> and at the same time, it would take most of a lifetime to still understand all of that. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Which, which, which is why I can, I can appreciate the perpetual nature. Yeah. Right, which is why I can, can appreciate the perpetual nature of what we're really being called to do. Yeah. Because yeah. some days I can appreciate this more than others. Mm -hmm. Some days I manifest my appreciation for that more than others. Mm -hmm. But if I'm always understanding that it's perpetual, Right. right? And so it's not necessarily something to be attained, but it's something to be pursued. That's right. right? Anybody have any questions so far? All right. So he's giving this, 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 this plea, right? He's withholding his, his authority and rather personalizing a plea where he's saying, in light of the mercies of God that show up through redemption, that show up through revelation, redemption, and remission, there's something that I want you to do. He's saying that I want you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Yeah. So now we want to talk about the power of the presentation. The power of the presentation. Now, in terms of the Old Testament, who presents the sacrifice? The priest. The priest, right? So there's a person. Where does he present the, the sacrifice? The altar. The altar, right? And then what is the sacrifice? Yeah. It could yeah. be could be any number of things, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. So there is a person. There is a place, yes. right? And there is a penance, yes. something to be offered, right? Mm -hmm. And so that meant that in order for this to take place, you had to wait on the person mm -hmm. to go to the place yeah. mm -hmm. to offer the penance, That's right? Right. But we have a different scenario here God. where he's saying, I want you to do the presentation, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So now all of a sudden, I go from needing the priest to being the priest. That's right. Right? Yeah. So I go from needing the priest to being the priest. Right? But not only that, but I believe that you also become the place. Praise God. Right? Amen. You also become the place. And not only that, but he's saying that you're the sacrifice, which means that you also become the penance. <laughs> so I go from needing to wait on the person, a place, and a thing, mm -hmm. to being the person, to being the place, and the thing. Praise God. You guys with me so far? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So now I don't need to wait for something to happen. It happens everywhere that I go. That's right. Right? 
And so, so, so that's why uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But I think I think that this is I think that this is really important because I think that that sometimes we we don't necessarily understand the responsibility that we have directly to do some things or to offer some things as far as our worship to God, right? And so he's saying that no longer do you need to wait on the person, no longer do you need to wait on the place, no longer do you need to wait on the thing because you are the person, you are the place, you are the penance, you are everything that you need, which means that worship doesn't just take place between the times that are posted on the sign of your church building. That's kind, of, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at, right? And so because I'm no longer needing to wait on the person, no longer needing to wait, wait on the place, no longer needing to wait on the penance, but I become all of those things, now anywhere that I go, worship becomes possible. Should be possible. Should be possible, Should right? Be possible. But we don't necessarily see it that way, right? Because even, even, even our, our language sometimes doesn't lend itself to that thought, right? Is that we 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 use language that that allows us to compartmentalize those things in such a way that we don't see our lives and the way that we live as actual worship to God. But isn't your worship supposed to be from the morning you wake up to the night when you close your eyes and go to sleep? Well, I think I think that that I think that this where you go, you are. I think I think that this lends itself to that to that thought, right? But sometimes we don't see it that way, right? And sometimes we don't use language that lends itself to that idea. Is that you know we 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 segment it. So I believe that I only worship between the hours of ten and twelve on Sunday morning, right? And that's what worship is, you know. And anything outside of that is not worship. But I don't believe that that's necessarily true. I believe that worship encapsulates a lot more than that. So what is he saying? Go ahead. I was just going to say along those same lines is going back to my original thought is just that worship, I agree with you, worship is not just something we go to on Sundays or maybe Wednesday night Bible club, mm -hmm. but it goes back to how we live. Exactly. Are we living in a way that shows we've been, we are the priests. <laughs> right, that's right. And so that's one thing, it's not worship, oh, I'm going to go mm -hmm. sing songs and all that church. Right. It's just how am I living my life? Exactly. So... Also, the condition of that sacrifice has to be at the level of a certain quality. You're getting ahead of me. Okay, <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right, right? And so the, the, the problem is, is that when we don't see this as something that happens all the time, then when you do go to that time, that 10 and 12 or that 11 and 1, whatever it might be for you, right, is that now you're trying to manufacture something, right? So you need someone to sing you, you need someone to preach you, you need someone to pray you, you need someone to almost push you into this space to get, at least in the churches that I have gone to, right? That you, so you're depending on, you know, who is the singer who, or the singers or who's the preacher in order to get you into this space because now you're trying to manufacture something that's foreign to you. But when this is something that's perpetual, then what that hour becomes is us harnessing that as a collective, rather than manufacturing it as something that's foreign to us, right? So what would it look like if we really understood on an individual level this idea, and so let's talk about it a little bit more and then we'll come back to what I, what I was about to say. So not only is he saying that I want you to be the one to make the presentation, but he's saying that the, presentations, that the presentation is of your bodies, right? In, in this sense, it's not just talking about the physical body, but that term actually is reflecting the whole self, right? 
So I want you to present your whole self as a living, right? Okay, so now sacrifices we understand, if we're jumping back into the Old Testament, were generally killed, right? Which meant that they could only be offered how often? Once, right? But a living sacrifice is able to be offered how often? Continually. Continually, right? Because it's living, right? And so then we get to this idea of this thing being holy. That's the quality measure, right? And so no matter what the sacrifice was, whether it was uh, an animal sacrifice or whether it was a grain sacrifice or whatever it was, right, is that when you go back and you read about such things is that there was always a quality measure that the, the animal needed to be spotless or the grain needed to be choice. Like it all, there was always a quality measure connected to it, right? And so this gets back to how we're living, right? Because it, it, it needs to be something that is, that is holy, right? So when we look at the idea that my whole self is intended to live in such a way that there's a quality measure connected to my way of life, and that begins to translate into this thing called worship. Now we're looking at this thing from a whole different perspective than, than at least than I had ever been looking at it. And, and I think I understood it on a theoretical level, but I think that to walk through this text, begin to shed a new light on this particular, on this particular thing. So now I'm not trying to wait for the best singer. Now I'm not trying to wait for the best preacher. Now I'm not trying to wait for the, the perfect atmosphere. I don't need the lights to be a particular way. I don't need any of these things because what I have now is this idea that I am the priest, that I am the place, that I am the penance, and this is happening all the time. And so every day that I get up and all day when I'm moving around and no matter who I'm coming into contact with, I'm seeking to make sure that there is a quality about my life that is giving honor to the true and the living God over and over and over and over again. So when I come together with my brothers and sisters at any given time, it's not about manufacturing something, but it's about harnessing something that already exists within me. You guys with me? Yeah. And I think if we can get to that place then I, I, think that, I think that we will begin to see a, a wholesale shift in just the way that we function. I think that we will begin to see a wholesale shift in the way that a lot of places experience worship because now it, doesn't be, it, 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 it has moved from a production to a lifestyle. And we should recognize that that quality is the gift given to us and it needs to be respected. Absolutely. Because he's the one that declares us as such. That's right. it. Right? And the one who brought his lamb and held his hand on it while it was dying, he respected that lamb. Right. Absolutely. It, it was, he knew that it died because of him. Absolutely. Amen. <clears throat> Anybody have any, any questions? Any? Do, you, do you think that uh, we need to just wholesale change the way we talk about when we get together to worship on Sunday, it seems like we do kind of compartmentalize that through our own language and how we talk to right. each other. And we, we, are, we are adding to that being kind of a problem, 10 to 12 on Sunday, versus, um, you know, what I think about is, like, think about those just small interactions with people that are really frustrating. Like, maybe the the line at the grocery store is just moving too slow. Mm -hmm. And you run into the, the clerk who's been standing on her feet for 12 hours right. checking people's groceries. Yeah. 
it's an act of worship as to how you treat her. Yeah, absolutely. But you're, but you're tired, you've been at work all day, right. you just want to get home and fix dinner. Right. And if you kind of think of it that way, it's uh, pretty, I don't know, it, it makes you think about all the things you're not treating people well. Right. Absolutely. Thank you. So, so to go back to your original statement, right, I think that we, maybe it's not that we need to change per se, maybe it's that we need to expand, okay? Because I think there is something very special, and don't, so don't get me wrong, I'm not minimizing our corporate worship together. That's right. It's not, that's not my intent. That, that's, not, that's not what I'm getting at. But maybe we need to expand our language so that we can help one another understand that just because the benediction has been given, your worship has not ended. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. So when you see it from that perspective, then that interaction that you just described, because here's the thing, is that we put a lot of emphasis on people not missing worship, right? We put a lot of emphasis on people not missing corporate worship. But if you, if we take the example that you just gave of, you know, it's been a long day, you've commuted from here to there, you just want to run to the store and get the gallon of milk so that you can get home to do whatever you need to do, and, you know, the line is moving slow, and you know that if the checker just back this way instead of that way or move this way instead of that way, you could have been gone five minutes ago, right? So all these things are going through your head, so you're frustrated. And so rather than saying and having some compassion saying, God bless you, I know this is a tough job. Simple, right? What if we begin to see that opportunity and put it on the same level as if I just rolled over on Sunday morning and said forget it? Man, it's quiet in you know, and, I, and I'm not saying, but and I'm not saying that that it's it's the same. But I'm saying that if we begin to look at every opportunity to give God glory with our life yeah. as an opportunity to express worship, and re begin to relate it to that which we see as important related to worship, then we are more mindful of those smaller interactions every day that really begin to make a difference not only in our lives but in the lives of others, right? Because when we look at, when we, when we, when we talk about Acts chapter number two, it talks about how the early church functioned. It says that they were praising God and finding favor with what? With all the people. I think that these are also opportunities, these are also opportunities for us to find favor with people when we don't engage in just this compartmentalized worship, but when we engage in this perpetual worship so that people see acts of worship, so to speak, played out in front of them all the time. Yes. Why are you the way that you are? That's because my life is in constant state of worship to the God that I serve, right? Yes. So I don't think it's a change. I think it's an expansion of our language and the way that we think so that we stop compartmentalizing, right? You know, you're so right because when, when we show compassion to others, and let our light shine. We're we're glorifying God. Absolutely. And that's 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 what we're supposed to do. Yeah. No, I agree, holding completely. Sorry, I don't mean to take it. No, no, no. Like I said, this verse is very close to my heart. Um, going along with what you said about compartmentalizing is we tend, and I'm guilty of this as well, is we mm -hmm. tend to get caught up in the physical aspect of our worship on Sundays, and that's mm -hmm. why we compartmentalize. It's like a Taking the communion, mm -hmm. I've heard the sermon, I've sang some songs, yeah. worship is done. Mm -hmm. But what this verse is talking about, and I, you'll probably get to this, mm -hmm. and I also think of what Jesus said, is our worship 
is spiritual. Mm -hmm. right. Even though we do physical things, it's mm -hmm. still spiritual. And I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at yeah, yeah, yeah. when he says, we'll worship in spirit and, and truth. Yeah. And I think Paul speaks to this, but that's what we need to remember. Is if mm -hmm. we remember our worship is spiritual, it will filter out into the, how we live our lives, how we interact with the cashier at the store. Absolutely. And that's what the spiritual worship is. It's the way we live. No, I, I, and that's what you're saying. So. No, 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 yeah. no, for sure. No, I, I, I want this to be interactive. I want you guys to share your thoughts and your feelings <laughs> about this because I'm, I'm, I'm still working on this. But, but here is what this understanding has helped me to do. It's helped me to simply be more mindful. It's helped me to be more mindful and so that when I step outside of truly being a holy individual, right, or at least attempting to embrace the holiness that God has declared over my life, right, mm -hmm. and I am actively, if I'm actively functioning in opposition of that, it makes me a lot more mindful of that. We try where I'm from <clears throat> to uh, have time every day mm -hmm where we prostrate our hearts before God. Amen. And whether it's reading the Bible or, you know, listening something inspirational. Mm -hmm. And and so if you do that every day, and then you develop a sense of gratitude. And when someone gives you a compliment through the day, I stopped accepting that compliment and I started saying that God's been real good to me. Mm. And then I realized that if I don't give God the compliment, then in a sense, when Jesus said, if you deny me before men, mm -hmm. and I thought, wow, I'm, if I take that compliment and I get the glory for it, I think mm -hmm. I'm denying Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of our worship is giving God the glory that he deserves instead of taking it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amen. That's something to chew on right there. I like mm -hmm. that. I like that a lot. So let's recap. <clears throat> We've come to this transition point in the book of Romans. We know that the gospel is a central theme through this book. We've identified that, that Paul, though an apostle, he restrains his apostolic authority and rather gives uh, a plea, an urging for them to do something, right? So I beseech or I urge you, therefore, brethren, right? So he's making it personal that in light of the mercies of God that we've identified as God's mercy showing up in revelation, him revealing himself in redemption, him rescuing us and him remitting our sins, right? That in light of the magnitude of the mercies of God that you present, that you make the present presentation because now you're not waiting on a particular time, a particular person, a particular place, but that you become the person, you become the place you become the penance, that you offer your whole self, the entirety of you as a living, which means perpetual sacrifice, right? That is holy in its nature, which means that there's a quality about it, right? A quality given to us by God, but a quality that we also have to be mindful of at all times, right? That's a completely different way than I ever really thought about this verse, mm -hmm. you know, for most of my life. But this is the understanding that's helping me to embrace it uh, in a different in a different way. OK. So. We've dealt with the power of the plea. We dealt with the power of the presentation. 
Now let's talk about the power of the praise. I just needed my alliteration to work. So the last clause in this particular verse talks about, about it being acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay, so acceptability is not determined by us. Acceptability is determined by God. All we can do is put the components together and allow God to be God. Yeah. Right? I come from an environment where people have a tendency to um, try to determine the acceptability of worship. A lot of energy is spent on determining the acceptability of worship. And that's done in a lot of different ways. That's done in determining how many people should sing at the same time. That's done by determining the quality of the singing. That's done by determining the quality of the preaching. That's done, you know, there's all these human things that we inject into this and then we begin to say, Worship was good or not on any given day. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that's, that's, that's us stuff, yeah. right? That's us stuff. And it further, it further feeds into this idea of compartmentalization, right? Mm-hmm. So how was I moved in those particular hours in that time frame that I now am saying that I have the ability as a human being to determine what to determine what was acceptable to God not because of things that I'm reading in scripture but because I've now injected my human nature in terms of saying Jimmy Hurd could have did better today so worship wasn't that good you, you, you understand where I'm coming from because now what I've, what I've done is I've made myself what I feel, right, what I like, the object of worship, right? Mm -hmm. So now for worship to be acceptable, for worship to be quality, for worship to be good, first of all, it needs to take place between these hours. (laughs) Let's be clear. But not only that, for it to be good, it has to fit what I believe Mm -hmm. is good. There's something very wrong with that. First of all, it again further lends itself to the idea of compartmentalization. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm hoping that you know you don't have a tone deaf person that's up leading. You know, <laughs> I get it. You know, that's just a distraction. But at the same time, we kind of sometimes put ourselves in the God position, determining quality and acceptability, right? But the thing about it is that the quality measure doesn't have to do with tuner pitch. The quality measure has to do with the marrying of a totality and a quality. That quality being holiness. And then God determines acceptability. You guys all right? Yes, absolutely. But you guys kind of get where I'm coming from? Mm -hmm. Is that when we stop kind of functioning from that purely carnal perspective and really try to look at this from a spiritual perspective, we have to shift our our focus back to God. This is not about us. This is about how we relate to him, not 
how we feel about whatever's going on around us. There was a, a lady that used to attend Crenshaw. She's passed now. Mm -hmm. But she would be singing loud. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, I have a like a musical ear. Mm -hmm. And she would be singing loud and off pitch. And it would just be like somebody scratching on a, a, <laughs> on a board, a chalkboard. Mm -hmm. But then I had to realize she was praising God. Hey, <laughs> and so, and, and that's what's important. He, like you said, he doesn't he doesn't listen to the the pitch and all of that. He's he's looking at the heart and where right. you're coming from with, yeah. with your heart when you when you're worshiping him. That's I, it. I agree. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I believe that I believe that God gives us gifts and talents mm -hmm. that I think should be used in a particular way as they are the most beneficial for the collective. Mm -hmm. So don't get me wrong. Ephesians five, exactly right. Okay. Very clear, right? So I believe that wholeheartedly. But I also believe that when we expand our understanding of what it's really about, then we begin to have a little bit more, right? So I don't know what that lady had to go through during the week to be this total and living sacrifice. And so when we come together as a collective, if her response to God in her continuation of that total and perpetual sacrifice is a little off pitch. It might be a little bit irritating to me, but it's not for me. That's right. <laughs> it's not for me, you know. So the best I could do is sit her strategic. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See her strategically in the sanctuary. So you know. That's right. <laughs> You're caring for your brother. <laughs> <laughs> but but I understand what you mean, right? And so I know that we're kind of shifting back and forth, kind of between this individual thing and this collective thing, but. I'm doing that very intentionally because of the language that we use around the whole idea of worship. Acceptability is not determined by us. The only thing that we can do is look at scripture and see what God desires of us so that we can do, right? But in terms of ultimately determining the acceptability of anybody's worship, I just believe that it's the idea that you're offering your bodies, that's totality, uh, as a holy and living sacrifice, that's quality. And you put those things together and you allow God to be God in terms of determining acceptability. Yeah. That's, just, that's just where I'm at. But look at what he says. So if we run all of this together and we get to this last clause, he says, okay, therefore, I've given you all this information. I'm urging you brothers, it's a personal plea, that in light of the mercies of God, that show up in the form of the redemption, in the in the mercy of uh, revelation, in the mercy of redemption, in the mercy of remission, that you present, because you are now the person, you are now the place, you are now the penance, your bodies, your whole self, as a living, perpetual sacrifice, that is holy, which means that there's a quality measure connected to it, given to us by God, embraced by us, right? As a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is the marrying of the totality and the quality, but God determines the acceptability. And that all of this becomes your spiritual service of worship. Some versions say reasonable service, right? Now, what's interesting is this. Again, I've been a member around and in the Churches of Christ all my life. And so there's this term that's used 
at least among the churches I came through, about the acts of worship. Oh, yeah. Right? <clears throat> which is great, which is fine. But if you use it as a mathematical equation, opposed to a perpetual lifestyle, then again, it lends itself to this idea of compartmentalization that I ultimately think is a bit problematic. Because if you notice in here, none of what he said has anything to do with those things that have been referred to affectionately as the acts of worship. But he says that all of this is your spiritual worship. Mm-hmm. <sighs> right? <laughs> because coming up, it was like this plus this plus this plus this equals this. Ah. Well, that lends itself to further compartmentalization and not understanding the perpetual nature of actually living my life for Christ. So there's a time that we worship collectively, but my life is worship. Now, here's what I really love. Is that it, 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 the, the different translations kind of perplexed me because some versions are saying reasonable service. Some versions say spiritual worship. Now, when you put those two things side by side, they don't even remotely sound the same. No. <laughs> yeah. Not even remotely. Like usually you can go from translation to translation and there's like some semblance of similarity, mm-hmm. you can kind of see where they were coming from. <laughs> Spiritual worship, reasonable service. Not even close. But then when I begin to look at this word, logicos, what does that sound like? Logical. logical. When something is logical, what does it do? It makes sense. It, makes sense. Sense. Yeah. it just makes sense. Now, let's work through this again in light of this, this thought that it should make sense, right? Paul, this apostle, says, therefore, because of everything that I've just told you, and remember, what's the common thread that we, that the common thread that we said runs through this book? The gospel, gospel, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially, because of the gospel, in everything that I've told you about the gospel, right? I'm urging you, brethren, a personal plea. In light of the mercies of God, the mercy of revelation, the mercy of redemption, the mercy of remission, that you make the presentation as the priest, the place, and the penance of yourself your whole self, your body, as a living, perpetual sacrifice that has a quality measure of holiness connected to it, right? And that all of this is acceptable as determined by God because it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because it makes sense. Why am I doing this? Because it makes sense. Is that when you understand what God has done for you? Because remember, this whole thing said, "In light, this started out in light of the mercies of God, right? By the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God, all of this, it just makes sense. It just makes sense that because 
Jesus did what he did, that you need to respond this way. There are just some things that just make sense. Do what makes sense. Do what makes sense. That's really what this is about, is that your spiritual worship, this thing is because it makes sense. And it's interesting that this is placed here because we know that it shifts and it begins to deal with the, the mind, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Because he shifts to verse number two, right? And starts to go into this whole thing. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? <clears throat> so isn't it an odd, isn't it, an, I won't say odd, but an interesting transition, right? Is that he's saying, do this because it makes sense in light of this, Right? And then he's saying, which is why you got to get your mind right. Which is why you have to get your mind right, right? Because it's hard to do what makes sense when your mind's not right. Right? So, I'm a little bit ahead of time because I was really going to do one. You guys want to want to toy around with verse number two for a little while? Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's good with that? All right. When, you know, when you get that whole package together, <clears throat> then you view the kingdom differently and how you yes. fit into the kingdom. Yes. And and then I believe that your prayers begin to change a little because they become more kingdom oriented. Mm-hmm. And right. then you start to get a whole lot more yeses than no's. Amen. <laughs> Amen. No, agreed. Agreed. All right. So I don't have this in slide form, but we're going to tour around verse number two. I have it all here. Okay. Anybody have any, anything they want to add about verse number one before we spend a few minutes on verse number two? Now, mind you, all that was in one verse. Yeah. <laughs> when I really sat down to work through it, it's like mind blown. That was a great I presentation. Thank you. Quick question on uh, verse number one. Um, I've heard that that word, spiritual service of worship, block coast, it's a different word that's associated with the temple worship of the Old Testament. Is that correct? That I can't speak to. Okay. But I, I, I had not heard that, but that's an, that's an interesting thought. I will look into that. Okay. Yeah. That's spent time on it. I was just curious. Yeah, no, 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 no. In my in my study, I had not run across that thought, um, but I'm 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 excited to look into that for sure. Um, verse two. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. All right. So. When he goes into this idea of not being a conformist, I, I think that he wants us to evade conformation, not confirmation, but conformation, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so to be conformed, the idea is that, that, is that it's passive, right? So if you're just being conformed, it's passive. It's not something that you're doing actively which means that it can just happen if you're not careful, right? right? And so I think that sometimes it's just happening and you don't even realize it. So you have to be hyper aware of the fact that that conformity can occur Mm -hmm. so that you can fight against it. Because it's not something that you have to decide, I'm just gonna conform to the world. Mm -hmm. It's happening and you don't even even (laughs) realize it. And so there was a time when we were content to be guided by the immoral and ungodly standards of this present age, right? But 
we didn't ever decide that that's what it was. It was just what was happening, right? You almost didn't know any better. The, the, the word that's used for conform is rooted in a term called schema. It's an interesting word, schema, because it means the outward form that varies from year to year and from day to day, right? That's where it's talking about being not conformed to this world or this present age, right? Is Wrapped in that is the idea of this word schema, but it's something that changes from year to year and from day to day, right? So watch this. When you think about something being conformed, right? Think about a mold, right? Like for a cake or a jello mold or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that's static, right? And whatever you put in it takes on the form of the mold, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So we have this thing that's static, but then we have something that's seemingly static, right? That it creates, it gives its shape to whatever is put into it, right? But then that's married to this idea of something that changes from day to day and from year to year. So you're taking something that gives form with an idea of something that's ever changing, right? So it says, be not conformed or shaped by this present age, okay? So here's the idea, is that the present age today is different from the present age as it was yesterday. Right. It's different from the present age as it was before that, right? right? There are things that come on television today that 20 years ago would have been unheard of. Amen. And 20 years ago, they would have tried to figure out how to, 20 years before that, if the things that were on television today, they would have figured out how to get rid of television altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, watch this. None of us decided that we were going to just flow with it. It just happened. So things that would have made you uncomfortable to watch on television 25 or 30 years ago, you watch now and you don't even think about it. That's right. Right? That's right. Because it's been shifting slowly and gradually, right, to the point that you've just taken on the shape. Right? Yeah. It's shifted and you've just shifted with it. Man, you guys are looking at me strange. But you guys get what I'm, you, you get what right. I'm getting at, right? Is that, is, that, is that, it's shifting and we're just changing with it. That's scary, mm -hmm. right? So I'm a therapist and in the secular world, like literally that's what we do with somebody that mm -hmm. has, whatever it is, mm -hmm. we help them slowly shift. shift. And it changes the way they think about things, the way they do things. Right. But I have never considered it that, like, in this light. Right. Like, whoa. And I think that, especially when it pertains to our spiritual lives, I see your hand. As it pertains to our spiritual lives, we're, all, we're always expecting the big boom. Right? We're always expecting the big temptation. We're always, as long as we can avoid the big stuff, then we feel like we're guarding ourselves against this present age. But when you really step back, you say, I know that this is not of God. I know that this is not healthy for my spirit. I know that this is not conducive to me being a perpetual and living sacrifice, right? Because of what I'm taking into my space that is actually tainting my ability to have the quality measure connected to my life that I need to put together for this thing called spiritual worship, that thing that makes sense, right? So it's slowly shifting, and I'm actually creating 
this distance between where God would have me to be, but it's so subtle because it's what's going on all around us and shifted ever so slowly that it wasn't like overnight it just happened and we went from leave it to beaver to reality TV, <laughs> right? It didn't happen like that. It happened slowly and gradually that things began to happen. Like I remember there was this, there was, I can't remember what the television show, but there was this television show that was like there was a first gay kiss on television. I don't remember what it was, right? Or I remember uh, when, when, when it was a big deal that Ellen came out on her, uh, her television show in like the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. That she, she came out as homosexual, as a, as a homosexual on her show, right? That that happened, right? Now, that was like mind blowing and that was in like the late 90s, mm -hmm. right? That's literally like 20 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Today, who cares, right? Is that no, 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 one, no, one has no one has any concern about that. It's what you see every day. And those are the images that are poured into you every day. Now, that's not, I'm not here to cast judgment on, on anybody's lifestyle or anything like that. That's not my, that's not my point. My point is you can see the stark difference between something being completely <clears throat> mind-blowing to the entirety of society to a slowly but surely just becoming the norm to the point that people just begin to shrug their shoulders. That maybe even you were up in arms when Ellen did what she did or whenever whatever happened, right? To the point that now you can click right through it and you just kind of shrug your shoulders and keep moving, right? Because the, the changes are slow and gradual. But it's not just an entertainment, it's just with the world. But we have to be aware because he's saying if you're not, if you're going to avoid being conformed, there has to be an awareness because look, it's not something that you have to decide to do, which means that it's something that you have to fight, actively fight against. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You have your hand up, sir. <laughs> that was funny what you were talking about with the media that reminded me of, you know, when I was a kid growing up watching, you know, Bewitched and, uh, out, I dream of Jeannie. You know, the, the married couples always had to answer bed for bed. They never show one bed. Right. You know, okay. and, and the bed women always had to two beds. Right. You know, and, and there, people would think that was just crazy today. Because because their their babies were all immaculately conceived. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I what I try to use as an example in my life is when I started agreeing with my neighbors, when I started agreeing with people in the nonprofits that I'm in when I started agreeing with people on my job, um, the way they see, the way they do things, mm -hmm. the, 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 the forms that they go in their mind yeah. to, to, to set what they consider as moral, mm -hmm. acceptable, um, um, ways of conduct, ways of living, ways of empathy, ways of understanding. Um, if, the more I start agreeing with the different parts of my life mm -hmm. that, I, that I interact with people, mm -hmm. then I use that as a check. If I'm agreeing more than I'm disagreeing, mm -hmm. then I'm probably being conformed more than I should be to this world. And so, so then I go back and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, really, the Holy Spirit is calling me to be different. It's calling me to be that light. And um, if I'm starting to agree a little too much, maybe I need to check to see if I'm deviating too much in conformity. And I kind of use that as a standard in my life. I think, I think that's a good a good check however I think it has to be very subjective yes because just because 
someone may not share my faith doesn't mean that we're actually completely, you know, like diametrically opposed on all things, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, th I think we have to be very, I think it is a good, I think it's a good thing to be aware of, you know, but I, but I think it's something that has to be very subjective. I'm going to move through the rest of this stuff really quickly just so that I'll kind of leave you hanging out there and we only have a few minutes. So I just want to kind of give you the point. So we've talked about the idea of evading confirmation, right? Okay. But then it says, so if we're, it, that, that if we are to not be conformed, but it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So we have to endure transformation. And so we don't do the transforming because again, it says be transformed, right? And so again, it's not something that we do, but I do believe that it's something that we have to submit ourselves to. Mm -hmm. So we don't do the transforming, but we do have to submit ourselves to enduring the opportunity to be transformed, right? And so the same, now watch this, the same word that's used for transformation is the same word that was used of Christ when he was transfigured. I think that's super interesting. Wow. I think that's super interesting. And I'm just going to shorten it by saying this. We understand that what happened when Jesus was transfigured and we understand the glory, right, that came from that, right? That I just believe that if we evade confirmation and allow ourselves to endure, right, transformation, that we also have an opportunity to give God glory. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. If you allow God to transform you, you will indeed glorify, glorify him. So when that, that, that was another one of those moments in my study that was like, yep. right? Yeah. Is that if I actively avoid being conformed to this world and submit myself to God transforming me, mm -hmm. that ultimately he's gonna shape me into something the that's gonna glorify <clears throat> that he gets the glory from, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to get the glory from that, all right? So we have uh, the evading confirmation, enduring transformation, um, and then I think that we need to embrace renovation. We need to embrace renovation. Sometimes it's hard to stay on the altar because we would rather conform then transform all right it's hard to stay on the altar you're living and you're, you're on the altar but it's easier sometimes to conform than to transform because i'm on the altar and i'm having to allow god to work on me right so think about all the ways you know so i'm on the altar i'm a living sacrifice uh he is the potter i am the clay right and so all of those things are things that you are having to endure kind of the push and the pull and the change, right? That is necessary in order for God to get the glory. But to be renewed, there are two words that come together. And so we're not just new in terms of time, that I'm not the same as I was yesterday, but we're also new in terms of quality. So if we allow ourselves, we could be new in terms of time and quality. And then there's a whole idea of proving what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so the thing is this, is that if we go through all of this, is that when we're tested, it will prove what God's will is, right? Because we begin to manifest those things that ultimately glorify, glorify Him. Make sense? Yes. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this morning. Thank you.